Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study, where we try to take a logical approach to the scriptures, and in particular in this podcast, we're looking at the Gospels, uh, and particularly the Gospel readings that are read each day from the Catholic Mass. So we're doing a Catholic approach to scripture, looking at the literal sense of the text, so really diving in in an academic way to what the text is trying to teach to its original audience. And this is a really helpful way of studying the scriptures because it helps us get out what God may have intended through these words. And it certainly helps us grow in our understanding of faith. So today we're looking at Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. Here is the reading for today. Jesus exclaimed, I bless you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for hiding these things from the learned and the clever and revealing them to mere children. Yes, Father, for that is what it pleased you to do. Everything has been entrusted to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, just as no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labour and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, my yoke is easy and my burden light. So today's reading from Matthew chapter 11 divides into two parts. First, we have this prayer from Jesus to the Father. That's in verses uh, 25 to 27. And that prayer sounds very similar to language which Jesus uses in the Gospel of John. You'll often hear in John this intimate language of uh, divine sonship in relation to the Father and how Jesus as the Son has come to reveal the Father's will. But here we have very, very similar language here in Matthew. Often you'll hear scholars say that John has put words in Jesus' mouth as though John is just a theological reflection of maybe what Jesus was on about but not things Jesus actually said. Well, here I think this passage in Matthew should give us confidence as Catholics that that's not what's happened. John has not put words in Jesus' mouth. Jesus did actually say things like this, and Matthew tells us that he did in today's reading. It's just that John is uh, relating more of those prayers and sayings that didn't make it into the other Gospels. So these are things which Jesus really did say. The second half of our passage, verses 28 to 30 That is an invitation from Jesus to all those who hear him. So let's start at verse 25. Now, there's some usually some words here at the start of verse 25 that are missing from our lectionary translation, which are at that time. And Matthew there is signaling that the prayer Jesus is about to pray immediately follows what happened before this, which was Jesus describing how various towns in Israel Uh, rejecting him. So it's the part where he's saying, woe to Chorazin, the judgment day will be very bad for you. So he's just done that speech. And now Matthew says, at that time, and Jesus begins this prayer. And there is a connection there because the prayer shows that even as Jesus is rejected by many in Israel, the prayer shows that he is received by some. And that is sufficient reason to praise God. So Jesus exclaimed, or more literally, he declared, This tells us that although Jesus does private prayers, this is a public prayer. The crowd probably could have heard this particular prayer. The only other times we get to hear these uh, prayers of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew 
are the Garden of Gethsemane and then when he offers his life on the cross. This is the only other time in Matthew that we get to hear a prayer during his ministry. And he starts his prayer to the Father by saying, I bless you, which basically means I thank you. In this particular prayer, Jesus as the Son is going to thank the Father for setting up his plan of salvation the way that he has. He says, I bless you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, this was a common Jewish way of beginning prayers. And we know that if you look at Tobit, chapter 10, verse 14, it's a very similar language, Lord of heaven and earth. The difference here is that Jesus adds in the term Father. And in the Aramaic, that probably would have been the intimate word Abba, which means an intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. It appears that most Jews at the time would not have been that comfortable calling God Father, although he is revealed to be the Father in the Old Testament. It's not as strongly emphasized, and particularly in the time of Jesus, they didn't strongly emphasize that. So when Jesus calls God Father, that would have been quite a unique thing here. He says, I bless you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for hiding these things. Now, what are the these things? Well, it doesn't appear to be any particular teaching. Rather, the things that he's thinking of would be his teaching in general about the kingdom of God, which he has been doing over the last several chapters. Jesus says, the father has hidden them from the learned and the clever. So who's that? Well, in context, the learned and the clever would be the Pharisees and the scribes and the other Jewish leaders who had theological training. So Jesus has been trying to teach them about the kingdom of God, these Jewish leaders, but because of their preconceptions and their pride, those Jewish leaders have not understood his teachings. They haven't understood the parables. So they haven't understood what the kingdom of God is all about. This phrase I thank you, Lord, for hiding these things from the learned and the clever. Jesus here is not teaching that those who are educated or who are trained in theology in general cannot understand the gospel. That's not what the verse is saying. He's referring to those in his time period, the learned and the clever in his day, which were the Pharisees. But Jesus says, rather you have revealed them to mere children, or more literally, that is, babes. Who's he referring to? Well, probably he's thinking of those not not babies, but adults, but babies in the spiritual sense. So he's thinking of those who have received little theological training in his time. So that would be those in the crowds who have been following him. Many of them couldn't read or write. They haven't got theological training in particular, but these are people who are genuinely seeking the kingdom, unlike the Pharisees and the scribes. So as a result, these mere children or babes are entering the kingdom whereas the wise are not. That appears to be the meaning of this particular phrase. God has deliberately set things up so that only those who are seeking him in Jesus' time can access the kingdom. Jesus says, Yes, Father, for that is what it pleased you to do. Or other translations put this as, For such was thy gracious will. So we learn here that it was the Father's plan to make the mysteries of the kingdom known only to those who were genuinely seeking him, not necessarily to those who are theological, uh, theologically trained. I think this principle does still apply today. Only those who are genuinely seeking God will understand the kingdom. If you've got a degree in theology, that's great. And you can access the kingdom of God, but only if you're genuinely open. Sometimes theological training is a barrier to getting to God, but sometimes it's actually a help. And that would be the distinction there. Verse 27, everything has been entrusted to me by my father. This is a strong statement. 
here we learn that the Father has revealed the mysteries of the kingdom, and in fact it says everything, so all authority has been given to the Son, but as we learn from the Gospel of John in particular, the reason why the Father gives the Son all authority is for the purposes of bringing more people into the kingdom. It's not for the Son's own sake, it's so that more people can be led to the Father and into his kingdom. Jesus now uses this really uh, deep, intimate language of relationship. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father. So this could mean a few different things. Probably it means that no one really knows the true nature of the Son as the second person of the Trinity, except the Father. No humans understood that in Jesus' time. So this verse, as well as lots of others in the Gospel of John, points, points to the deep intimacy between the Father and the Son, And it also points to their shared oneness and the divine nature that they both have in the blessed Trinity. So this is a teaching about the Trinity here. And Jesus now flips it around. No one knows the Father except the Son. So here, what it probably means is no one knows the Father's will except the Son. However, there's more here. Jesus says, no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So this is a fascinating verse. Here we learn that Jesus as the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is able to perceive the thoughts of people on earth, and therefore he chooses who he will reveal the Father's will to. Did you pick up on that? Those whom the Son chooses to reveal. So the Son apparently does not choose to reveal God's will to everyone. That's controversial, but it is what he's saying here. So presumably... What Jesus is getting at here is that in his prayer, he does not fully reveal the Father's will to those who are not genuinely seeking. So you see the connection here to what he was just saying. So in particular, he probably means he doesn't reveal the Father's will to the wise and the learned, the Pharisees. On the other hand, he does reveal the Father's will to those who are genuinely seeking, which would be his disciples. That is the meaning of those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So the Son chooses to make the Father known to those who are genuinely seeking the Father. That's the Son's job, to draw those who are open to God closer to him. Now, that's an incredible privilege. Through Jesus, we get to know what the Father's will truly is, which was actually quite obscure in the Old Testament before Jesus came. Jesus now transitions to speaking to the crowds. He was just praying to God, and now he stops praying and he speaks to the crowds and he's inviting them to listen to his teaching about God. What we hear next might have happened on the same day, on the same occasion, or it might be on a different occasion, but Matthew has grouped this next section with the prayer because he perceives that they uh, cover similar themes. Verse 28, come to me all who labor. Notice that all, it's an invitation to everyone, who labor and are overburdened. What does it mean to be overburdened? Well, in context, it seems to refer to those who have worked spiritually to find God, but have not been able to. This would particularly apply to those who are struggling in Jesus' time to bear the demands of the Pharisees. And we know from later in Matthew, the Pharisees actually made it harder for people to access God. They tie up heavy burdens and lay on and lay them on people's shoulders. So this metaphor of people being overburdened when they try to come to God, that does actually make sense because the Pharisees were putting spiritual blocks or burdens on people so they couldn't get to the Father. So Jesus here is basically saying, come to me and I will help you find the Father. You won't have to work anymore. 
So do you notice that? Often people, when they hear this passage, come to me, all who labor, they perhaps treat this as though Jesus is treating himself, you know, as the goal, as the end in himself. But in context, clearly what he means is he's come to provide a different way for people to access the Father. That's why he says, come to me, I will show you the way to the Father. You don't have to keep working the way you have been working. Now, he's going to introduce this word yoke, and we need to say a bit about yoke. So, Y-O-K-E, yoke. In that time, a yoke was an agricultural implement, and it was a curved beam laid across the back of the neck and the shoulders, and it had chains, chains and suspension ropes at each end. Peasants would use them for hoisting and carrying heavy objects, and some animals would use it as well. So, it was like a, a special beam that you would put on your shoulders to help carry things. Notice what Jesus just said, come to me who are overburdened. And now the next thing he's going to say is not put down all your burdens. He's actually going to say, put down the current burdens you have and put on this new burden. So let's keep that in mind. Yoke also had a second meaning in the time of Jesus, and it meant religious instruction. So not only did it refer to physical agricultural work, it was a metaphor for religious instruction, and particularly the Old Testament commandments relating to the covenant relationship with God. So the body of teachings, both in the Torah and in the wisdom literature, that pointed the Jews towards right relationship with God, that was considered in Jesus' time to be a yoke. So all the Jews were bearing this yoke. And perhaps we could also say that Jesus has in view here the additional yoke that the Pharisees have laid on them in terms of their interpretation of how to follow the Old Testament. So Jesus now says, shoulder my yoke and learn from me. Notice he doesn't say, uh, shoulder your own yoke, it's shoulder my yoke. So that might carry the idea of Jesus and the person bearing the load together, shoulder my yoke and learn from me. So the person watches Jesus follows his teachings and learns from him. That's the idea. He wants his disciples to pay close attention to him and learn from him. And in doing so, they will be led to the father. Now, this language of shouldering yoke and learning from his instruction, probably Jesus had in mind here, Sirach chapter 53. Now, this is part of the Deuterocanon. So, Catholic Bibles have this, but most Protestant Bibles wouldn't have the book of Sirach. But there does seem to be this background here. So, I'll read out verse 23 to 27 of Sirach chapter 53. This is written by a wise teacher, and here's what the teacher says in Sirach. Draw near to me, you who are untaught, and lodge in my school. Why do you say you are lacking in these things? And why are your souls very thirsty? I opened my mouth and said, get these things for yourselves without money. Put your neck under the yoke and let your souls receive instruction. It is to be found close by. See with your eyes that I have labored little and found for myself much rest. Notice all those themes are in there about religious instruction, about souls being weary, about taking on a yoke and about finding rest. It's all in that one passage. So I do suspect that Jesus was thinking of this passage and certainly his audience would have known this passage. At least if he isn't, it does show that the Jews at the time regarded yoke to mean spiritual instruction. Verse 30, Jesus finishes by saying, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus here says, I have gentleness and humility, 
And of course, they are attributes which are required in order to find the Father. Do you notice the connection there? I am gentle and humble in heart, says Jesus. And Jesus knows that in order for people to find the Father, they also have to be gentle and humble in heart. So he's encouraging people to to copy him, to follow him. So the idea here is imitate me and you will find the Father. It's not this idea of come to me and you'll never have to work again and give me all your burdens and all will be okay. I mean, perhaps that's there on the spiritual sense, but on the literal sense, he's saying, take up my burden, imitate me, and in doing so, you will find the Father. He says, you'll find rest for your souls. So this is a spiritual rest, the kind of peace that we can say quiets the mind and surpasses human understanding. It encompasses this Jewish idea of shalom. Now, of course, as Christians, Jesus is not teaching they'll never experience frustration or trials, but he is saying that the burdens will become lighter and more bearable bearable with Jesus' help. In fact, the mention of rest here possibly sets up the next part of Matthew at the start of chapter 12, where Jesus is challenged on his understanding of the Sabbath rest. So maybe Matthew is deliberately setting that up. And then he finishes by summarizing his yoke. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice he doesn't say my burden doesn't exist. He says, my burden is light. So Jesus says his burden or his teaching won't be effortless, but it will be much easier in a sense than the other options they have tried. In particular, what Jesus is saying is that this path will be easier to get to God than the Pharisees' instruction that they were used to. That's what Jesus is saying about his yoke. This path will lead you to the Father, and Jesus will help you do it. If we also take yoke here to mean Torah, some have said that Jesus here is implying that he's setting up a new Torah law, as in my messianic Torah law, my messianic teaching, is a much easier burden to bear than the Torah. So it depends on how specifically Jesus is using that term, yoke. But I think this is one of these examples where it's actually really good to dig into the way words were used at that time because we learn a lot about the imagery Jesus is trying to use here. He wants people to shoulder his teaching, to shoulder his yoke in order that they might have a clearer path to the Father. Now, if you turn to the Catechism, there's actually a whole stack of uh, paragraphs which refer to what we have today. I mean, what we have today in chapter 11 It's perhaps not the most well-known passage in Matthew and not often talked about, but the Catechism uh, takes a lot of stuff here from Matthew chapter 11 and helps us construct Catholic teaching. So I'll just read out a few really interesting key passages that you may not have heard before from the Catechism, which directly link to this passage, and then I'll try and put them all in the show notes as well. Paragraph 2603 about Jesus' own prayers The evangelists have preserved two more explicit prayers offered by Christ during his public ministry. Each begins with thanksgiving. In the first, Jesus confesses the Father, acknowledges and blesses him because he has hidden the mysteries of the kingdom from those who think themselves learned and has revealed them to infants, the poor of the Beatitudes. His exclamation, Yes, Father, expresses the depth of his heart his adherence to the Father's good pleasure, echoing his mother's fiat at the time of his conception and prefiguring what he will say to the Father in his agony. The whole prayer of Jesus is contained in this loving adherence of his human heart to the mystery of the will of the Father. 
paragraph 2701 about the necessity of praying vocally. Vocal prayer is an essential element of the Christian life. To his disciples, drawn by their master's silent prayer, Jesus teaches a vocal prayer, the Our Father. He not only prayed aloud the liturgical prayers of the synagogue, but as the Gospels show, he raised his voice to express his personal prayer from exultant blessing of the Father to the agony of Gethsemane. So here we see a really good example of that, of Jesus doing a vocal prayer. Paragraph 2785 is about the term Abba Father. It says, A humble and trusting heart enables us to turn and become like children, for it is to little children that the Father is revealed. The prayer is accomplished by the contemplation of God alone and by the warmth of love through which the soul, moulded and directed to love him, speaks very familiarly to God as to its own Father with special devotion. So there the Catechism is discussing in particular a type of prayer called uh, contemplative prayer, and that prayer in particular has a focus on seeing God as Father, an intimate relationship with the Father. Paragraph 240 is about how the Father is revealed by the Son. Jesus revealed that God is Father in an unheard of sense. He is Father not only in being Creator, He is eternally Father by His relationship to his only son, who is eternally son, only in relation to his father. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So there's some really deep theology there, but it helps us understand the role of the son. Again, in 473, we learn about Christ's soul and his human knowledge. At the same time, this truly human knowledge of God's son expressed the divine life of his person. The human nature of God's Son, not by itself, but by its union with the Word, knew and showed forth in itself everything that pertains to God. Such is first of all the case with the intimate and immediate knowledge that the Son of God made man has of his Father. So we can learn that Christ does have a divine knowledge, particularly when he talks about uh, his intimate knowledge with the Father, which we see here today. Let's finish with paragraph 459, which is about why did the Word become flesh. The Word became flesh to be our model of holiness. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. See how there it joins a passage from Matthew that we see today and a passage from John, which are both essentially teaching the same thing. Jesus is the way to the Father, and that's why he's come. There's also another passage, I'll include this in the show notes, a paragraph 1615 is about marriage and how we're called to be equally yoked together. So it uses this metaphor of uh, being yoked together spiritually in marriage and how Jesus empowers us to live uh, the way that he wants married couples to live. So I'll include that in the show notes as well. Hopefully you learned something new today from the amazing gospel of Matthew. If you have, then can I ask you to share this with one other person today so that we can continue to grow the podcast. Thanks, and we'll continue tomorrow.